Good morning, everybody. It's good to have all of you here uh, today. It's good to be together uh, as God's family and, and to worship together in this place. We love new people, so we're so glad uh, that you've chosen to join us uh, here at, at Hope. We're one church, multiple locations, uh, and it is awesome that you've chosen to join us here uh, at the Des Moines campus. We pray that you feel uh, both welcomed uh, and encouraged uh, this morning. If you're just getting caught up, we are in the middle of a sermon series about four weeks into a, a six-week series called A New Look at Some Old Stories, and we're taking a look at some of these old stories in the Old Testament, which when you think about it, if you have your Bible, pull out your Bible there uh, that you got or grab one off the floor, there's plenty. If you, if you kind of look at that and flip through it, you realize the Old Testament makes up about 75-80% of the entire, entire Bible. So you think about that in comparison to the amount of time that sometimes we spend in the Old Testament, we like to just skip ahead to the New and to the Gospels and get to the good stuff with Jesus, right? But if we do that, we're going to end up missing a lot. Can you imagine reading, picking up a novel that you really want to read and you're like, I really want to know the full story. And it's like 400 pages long. And you say, ah, I'm going to start on page 312. And you just open up to that. You're going to miss quite a bit of the story, aren't you? So why would we do that with the Bible. So just to kind of get our thinking caps on and get the brainwaves flowing here uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, we're going to get our, our Old Testament flavor on. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about some of those Old Testament stories that you grew up with, whether in, in Sunday school or just recently reading them, if, you, if you're new to the faith. What are your favorite Old Testament stories? And I want you to pick a partner next to you, either behind you or next to you, and I want you to share with them what is your favorite story from the Old Testament and why. So just go really quick. If you can't think of any, Adam and Eve, Abraham and Isaac, Daniel and the lion's den, David and Goliath, there's a few ideas for you. So go for it. Chat it up. What's your favorite story and why? All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you. Did anybody say the giants of Anak? If you did, you cheated because that was our lesson for today. You're like, I like the one we read today, right? Anybody? Nobody said the giants of Anak? That's too bad, because that's a great story, uh, and that's, that, that's good. The Giants of New York, yeah. <laughs> we're not talking about the New York Giants, we're talking about the Anik Giants today. They were the fir- first football team uh, from New York. But if that wasn't your favorite story, you came to the right place today. Because no matter what you talked about, a lot of those are probably familiar stories, maybe they're not, but this one often gets overlooked, lar- largely because I think we spend a lot of time in Genesis and Exodus, don't we? I mean, that's where we get the creation story and, and Noah and the ark. You know, we've heard of that. And we've been in Exodus the last few weeks talking about Moses and the people coming out of Egypt. And a lot of times, these middle books in the Old Testament, they kind of get lost. But I think Numbers is pretty underrated. <laughs> it's a pretty underrated book. And it has some amazing stories about the central truth of the Old Testament, which is the Exodus. All those other stories are great, but the the central story that weaves its way through the entire Old Testament and then into the New Testament with the arrival of Jesus is this story of God's people, the Israelites, and this this, this journey out of slavery uh, from Egypt that Pastor Ben talked about uh, last week of the the Israelites uh, leaving Egypt out of slavery with Pharaoh and leaving on this journey to the promised land. And by the way, I don't know if any of you were here last week. Uh, Pastor Bren, Ben played us some tunes uh, during a sermon, and that was fun. I couldn't get that song out of my head for the rest of the day. Does anybody else have that? Yeah, you're driving around in the afternoon, and I'm driving into Panera. Go down, Moses. Yeah, you know, I'm just kind of like, who is this guy, right? I just couldn't get it out of my head, which I guess if you're going to have something in your head, that's a good thing, right? Let my people go, right? So today, we're actually going to continue 
that story. Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go, and he did. God kind of forced his hand. And so today we're, we're moving forward in that story. And after the Israelites finally escaped Pharaoh and the plagues, they embark on this 40-year journey. And you can see up on the screens here, they start over there by the, where it says the Nile Delta uh, over in Egypt. And you see they cross over the Red Sea and into the Sinai Peninsula. And you're thinking, wow, they didn't have a GPS, did they? Because they seriously took the long way, right? We're going to get to that a little bit longer. But you can see that's a long ways. And they're not going by car or by bus or by plane. They're walking, all right? Camels, donkeys, different things like that. That's a long way over to the land of Canaan that we're going to talk about today. This promised land that God has been promising them from long ago. And as with any journey worth taking, there are obstacles and fears that come their way. But no obstacle would be as uniquely challenging as the one that they would encounter in our scripture today. Because the question before them and the question before us this morning is this, and this is very important for us. What do you do when what's out there keeps you stuck here? What do you do when the things that you face out there in the future keep you stuck where you're at here? What do you do when you encounter struggles in your life that are just too big to handle on your own? What do you do with the giant obstacle that you might be facing in your life right now? Because we all have some. And believe it or not, I also want to ask, what do you do when that obstacle is a real, literal giant? And believe it or not, that's what we're going to tackle today in our scripture. So if you haven't already turned there, Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to look at some of the obstacles that we face in our life, even if they are giants themselves. So Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 27. We're going to start in verse 27. To give you a little bit of context for this story, when we arrive on the scene in Numbers 13, there's a few things that, well, that are helpful to know. First of all, just because... God has, has promised the Israelites that land of Canaan that we saw on the map uh, doesn't mean that they're not going to have to fight for it. You see, the, the backdrop to our entire story today is war. And unfortunately, as the Israelites are traveling along that route that you saw there, they're encountering these different groups of people. They're encountering these different tribes, and unfortunately for them, they're not just going to roll over and die. <laughs> they're not just going to say, oh, you're God's people. We've been living here for thousands of years with our ancestors. Go right ahead and just take over our land. Just walk right through, right? That's not how the Old Testament was. If they would have done that, the Old Testament would have been about five minutes long, right? But unfortunately, they ran into resistance after resistance. Remember our story from a few weeks ago, the, the leaders, the generals of the Israelites, Moses is the leader, and Joshua Right? We met him for the first time as one of uh, the main uh, army generals. And they're not the heroes of these stories because they're professional tour guides. Right? They're not the heroes of these stories because they're tour guides through the desert. They're military leaders. And that's where we pick up our story today. So in our, in our reading this morning, Moses has sent out 12 scouts to report on the land of Canaan, which is the promised land to see how good it really is, right? We've been traveling this whole way. Is, is God really know what he's talking about? <laughs> is it really a land flowing with milk and honey? Is it really, is, can, can we trust God? And also Moses wants to know, are we going to encounter any resistance? We're not just going to go walking into the land of Canaan 
if we, if we think we're going to get attacked. So the 12 go out to take a peek, and actually it was a 40-day peek. Everything's 40 in the Bible, if you haven't noticed that, noticed that yet. 40 years, 40 days, right? It all ties together. Um, so they take a 40-day peek, and what they see changes everything. It changes everything. And then God called. Uh, verse 27. Let's check out verse 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they bring back the fruit, and they say, here is the kind of fruit it produces. So just stop there in the story for a second. So far, so good, right? God's kept in his end of the deal. The promised land is everything that God said it would be. And that's what they see. So you'd think the story could end there. But it doesn't. Because instead of rejoicing, watch what the scouts say next. Verse 28. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, you know? Did you see what happened here? It's just a quick little change in the story here. The scouts came back with the greatest news ever, right? I got good news and I got bad news, right? The good news is everything and hope for and more. This is everything that we've been waiting for. Many of them, their entire lives they've been waiting to get to this point right god's promise is true god held up his end of the deal but what happened this good news got dumped on with a giant helping a fear you ever been there you get some good news and you get some bad news a giant helping a fear but think about this for a second think about everything that the israelites have been to up at this point they, they have been in slavery for hundreds and thousands of years under the tyranny of Pharaoh. They finally escape. They think, oh, I wonder if God's going to come through. Oh, let me just park the sea. Is that good enough for you? <laughs> right? It's like, duh, God is real, right? If he's not real after that, then is he ever going to be? He parts the Red Sea. He leads them through the desert. He gets them to the promised land. He, he, he provides food from heaven, from, from manna. He creates food out of nothing. He creates water out of a rock. He leads them by a pillar of fire by night. Like God held up his end of the bargain. So you think if the Israelites knew anything at this point, from everything that they've been through, they would say, God's got it. We can, we can fully trust God. He's got it. But that's not what happens. Instead, they cower in fear of the one thing. <laughs> they've encountered everything. I mean, you name it when you're out in the desert for 40 years. They've encountered it. But they cower in fear in front of the one thing that they've never encountered before. Really tall people. <gasps> right? They run into some future NBA basketball players out there, right? They're, they're huge. I'm not kidding. So now let's cut them some slack here. There's historical evidence that the descendants of Enoch were were great warriors, right? They were feared by everybody throughout the land. But I want you to listen to the description that the scouts give a little bit more. And this is where, uh, I'm going to skip down to verse 32. This is where I wish we had a little button. Like a, They should invent an app for this. If you're into that thing, invent an app that you can push that scripture in the Bible and then you can hear how it actually sounded when they said it. That would be really cool because uh, this is what they say. I'll try to do my best. Verse 32. All the people we saw there were huge. We even saw giants, right? Next to them, we were like grasshoppers. I mean, and 
And that's what they thought, too. I mean, they didn't say it, but they pretty much thought that we were grasshoppers, right? You can just see how this story just gets embellished, right? These are like teenage boys telling ghost stories, right? The story gets bigger and bigger. Isn't it true that when we tend to get overwhelmed in our lives, the fear tends to multiply? Isn't it true that when the odds are set against us, Sometimes we just end up spiraling deeper and deeper into stress and worry. You ever felt like that? It's one thing after another and we just kind of spiral deeper down and every time that the story gets shared, there's some, there's some stories that get told over and over and the facts just get more and more exaggerated. You know what I'm saying? You, you know what this is like if you've been to a family Christmas, right? Remember that one year when, when Uncle Frank tripped down the stairs, right? And he rolled out the door and he like rolled down the entire driveway? Well, he just tripped, right? But the more the story gets told, it gets exaggerated and exaggerated. It almost reminds me of a certain tale, a tall tale, not about giants, but about the beast. Remember the boys of the Sandlot? Remember that? And they're all gathered in their treehouse that summer night. And the character, Smalls, has just hit his father's baseball that's signed by Babe Ruth into the backyard of the beast, right? And just like the Israel scouts, nobody wants to go back there, right? Nobody wants to go in the backyard to face the beast into the land of the giants. No one dared go there. So let's just remind ourselves how exaggerated stories can get sometimes when we live in fear instead of trust. Let's take a look. He got eaten, right? There's no exaggeration in that story at all, right? Some of you remember that because you probably know, a little spoiler alert for you, sorry if you haven't seen the movie, but the beast doesn't end up being so scary after all, right? He's just a big old friendly, slobbery dog. That's what we find out. Now, the armies set against the Israelites, the giants of Anak, were indeed fearsome and evil warriors. But think about the story. Can you just hear the scouts telling the Israelites, you see everyone? Nobody's gone over there, and nobody ever will, right? They're like these little teenage boys that just get scared. And so the story could have ended there. The seeds of doubt and fear start to move throughout the camp, just like they moved throughout the treehouse. The word that's spreading throughout the camp of the Israelites is, you can't go over there. They're too big. They're too strong. What do you do in your life when what's out there keeps you stuck here? What is that? What does that look like for you? The Israelites are frozen in fear. The Israelites faced an army of what were looked like literal giants. But what are yours? What are the giants that you're facing in your life these days? For some of you, it's going to take a bit of thought. You're going to sit there and go, what, giants? Don't think literally here. What are the giants that you're facing in your life today? For some of you, you know exactly what that is. For the Israelites, it was the fear of what lies ahead. There's this future out there, and maybe too for you, the giant out ahead of you is this future. Whether it's a week from now, or a month from now, or years from now, it's unknown and it's unclear, and maybe for you that giant is, am I going to be alone forever? (laughs) Am I ever going to find that person to spend 
the rest of my life with? Is there that person out there for me? Maybe the giant that you're facing in your life right now is that stack of bills that's on your table at home that you, ever, that you wonder, is it ever going to get paid? Because the debt keeps racking up or, or the inability to find a job or, or getting your family back just seems like too big of an obstacle to overcome. What are the giants in your life? Well, you came to the right place if you came to Numbers today because this is where this story gets very personal. Because maybe your giant is that conflict in your marriage that you just can't seem to overcome. Maybe your giant today is the mistakes that you've made in the past that seem to just keep you pinned down in depression and self-doubt. Maybe your giant today is that addiction that you've had for years and you just can't shake it. You can't defeat it on your own. Maybe this story is about you. Maybe numbers has more to do with your life than you thought. Look up with me at verse 31 on the screen and let's read the complaint of the Israelite people. The the fear and the doubt is spreading through the camp and this is what the Israelites say. Let's read this nice and loud together from verse 31. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Ever been there? Think about whatever those things that you're facing in your life right now. You ever said that? There's no way I can go up against this. I'm tired of fighting the same battles, the same struggles over and over. What do you do when what's out there keeps you stuck here? You've got to go back to the promise. You've got to go back to the promise, which is exactly what our heroes do in our story this morning. You see why the entire nation was trembling in fear. There was two scouts. There was two warriors that refused to be overcome. Skip ahead with me to chapter 14. Just flip the page, chapter 14 of Numbers in verse 6. And the story continues. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, we've heard of him before, and Caleb, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. You see what they're doing? They're reminding them of truth. Verse 8, And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. See what they're doing? Promise. When fear creeps in, they're pointing people back to the promise. Verse 9, do not rebel against the Lord. And let's read the end of verse 9 together up on the screen. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. What a completely different response than the rest of the Israelites, don't you think? Who says stuff like that? When you, exactly. When you're, when you're faced with giants in your life, Is that your normal response? When most people say retreat, Joshua and Caleb say, let's take it. Let's take it. There's no reason we can't take it. When's the last time you thought about what some of those giants are in your life that you just can't overcome? And you look at your giant straight in the eyes and say, you've got nothing on me because the Lord is for me. That's the truth 
that we have to hold on to today. Who said, what kind of people say things like that? That's not how I talk on a normal basis. Those who know the battle will not be won by their own strength. That's who says things like that. By those like Joshua who know that giants fall in the face of God's promises. Do you believe that? Giants fall in the face of God's promises. You see, they had every right to be afraid. Joshua and Caleb were in the group of the 12 spies that went and looked at this land, and they saw the opposition that was against them, but they had the promise of God. And now I say that, and I know some of you are sitting there thinking, you know what, John? I, don't, I didn't really come here today for another pep talk, because you know what? My life, I, I'm hurting. And I'm in pain, and the last thing I need is a nice little Christian saying, a plaque that I can stick on my wall and say, yeah, that's that's my hope, that's a dream. But my life is entirely something different. You know what I mean? What What if I don't feel a lot of hope in my life right now? You say, I I don't need another nice saying. I've heard that plenty of times before. I don't need another little pep talk. But I want to ask you this morning, why not? Why not? Because when you hold that Bible in front of you this morning, when you look at the character of God in this book, how he's good, how he's faithful, how he's truly forgiven you, And he promises, this is his promise to you this morning, that he will be with you in the trials of life and that even in the desert, even in the deserts of life, he will never abandon you. And if you're thinking about that this morning and saying, oh, John, that's nice. Those are all just little simple, happy, motivational sayings to hang on my plaque in the wall. Or are they the truths of God that dramatically reshape your life on a daily basis? That's the difference. Because you've got to know today, Jesus wasn't crucified for being a cute motivational speaker. Jesus wasn't crucified for writing some nice devotional books to make you happy. I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's not the Jesus that's in your Bible this morning. Jesus was crucified because he said to the establishment of the day, my kingdom is not of this world. And that means that you can experience a peace and you can experience a joy that are not of this world, that have nothing to do with the circumstances of your life. What that means for you this morning is that if you're living a kingdom life, if you're following him this morning, that if you, if, if you look at your, your marriage from a worldly view, you're going to say, true love, that's impossible. From a worldly perspective. From a worldly perspective, you, you look at the uncertainty of your life and, and you say, well, there's no way that I can have peace right now. My life feels so incomplete. There's this void in my life. John, what are you talking about? There's no way that I can have peace in my life right now. I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. How can I have peace in the midst of that? Are you kidding me? No. No. Jesus says, why not? Why can you not experience peace right now, here this morning? Why can you not experience joy right now, here this morning? 
what if, I'm just wondering, what if God's ultimate desire for you isn't to just be inspired once a week at worship, but what if God's desire for you is to be a completely different person because of the difference the gospel has made in your life? That's, that's an entirely different thing. Christianity is not listening to the radio and, and Christian radio and getting expired once in a while. Christianity is not showing up to worship once in a week and saying, I need my little jolt from the pastor. Oh, I hope it's not because you're going to be sorely disappointed because I'm going to let you down. And the people sitting around you are going to let you down. And so you say, how, how can I have strength to carry on today? How can I have peace? How can I have joy? What does the gospel say to that? Because here's the truth, and this is the same truth that was staring Joshua and Caleb in the face that day. God never promises to take the giants away in our lives, does he? We don't have that kind of a God. We don't have a vending machine God. We don't have a God that snaps his fingers and say, oh, Jesus, would you just take all my problems away? We have a God that doesn't remove the giants from our life. We have a God that says, I will be with you, and you don't have to be afraid anymore. No matter what comes your way, he's for you. He's out ahead fighting for you. Jesus says it himself in John 13, 33. In fact, let's read this together. John 13, 16, 33. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. Read it together. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, if that's true, if we really believe what Jesus says, if that's true, then there's nothing that's going to come our way that he hasn't overcome. That he doesn't have victory in already. He's already said that. There's nothing in your life that he isn't capable of forgiving. There's no void in your life that he's not capable of filling. Believe it or not, I think that God really wants us to trust that the gospel can speak into every area of our lives and change us. When the early Christians were coming to faith, the thing that distinguished followers of Jesus from people that weren't following Jesus is that their lives looked completely different. They weren't just inspired, they were different. They were completely different people to where you could walk up on them and say, this is who I was before I met Jesus and this is who I am now because the gospel has just drastically reshaped my entire life. I think that Joshua and Caleb knew that same God. I know that it sounds crazy, but I think some of us, well, we tend to go through our entire lives sometimes going through the motions of attending church services and going to Bible studies and filling in the blanks and getting through all the popular books. But the problem is the truth never really gets through us. The goal is not to get through the book. The, bo the goal is to get that book that you hold this morning is to let it get through you. So let's ask that question for a second. If the God that Joshua and Caleb knew can be trusted, if he follows through on his promises, and what does that look like for you today? What if, what if you didn't have to just survive until the next weekend to find real joy, but you could find it all throughout the week? What if we weren't just working for the weekend? Remember that song? What if everybody was not just working for the weekend? What if they were working for today? Because God's here and he promises to show up. That's the difference the gospel can make in our lives. 
What if in the midst, here's a fun one, what if in the midst of one of your busiest weeks, you never had to be stressed? Jesus was never stressed. He was busy. He was never stressed. What if in the midst of one of your busiest weeks, when people are around you, they actually felt less stressed because of the peace in your soul? I want to be one of those kind of people. You know, some people, when you're around them, you just feel frazzled after spending time with them. Even if you're not stressed out, you spend time with people and you're like, ah, I feel like I should be doing something, right? I should be worrying about what they're worrying about. I want to be one of those kind of people that you're around, that the gospel's made such a difference in my life that you just leave going, oh, that was refreshing. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. Living through me. What if you could... <laughs> What if you could truly not be afraid of death? And if we worship the same God that the Israelites worshipped, the same God, what if there's no sting in death anymore because of the resurrection? And these seem like pretty outrageous claims. You might be sitting there going, wow, John, that's crazy. Those are pretty outrageous. I wonder if God just calls it normal. Why? Because they're all in there. They're all in that book. And so, what if when God said to Joshua, the land of Canaan will be yours, he meant, go take it. <laughs> remember the promise that I made to you years ago, Joshua? You remember this verse, Joshua 1.9? You've probably heard it before. Have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. Wherever you go. I'd imagine that Joshua's peering out over the cliff and he sees the armies, the armies, the giants of Anak, and he's looking out there. And when everybody else is biting their fingernails in fear, Joshua's running through God's promises in his head saying, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God will be with you whenever you go. What difference was God's truth make in your life right now, here, today? And God says, yeah, Joshua, remember that? Take me up on that. And I think God says the exact same thing to all of us today. You know those promises? Take me up on those. Take me up on those promises. Not just when everything is going great, but when you're down in the dumps, when you're stuck, when you're depressed, when you're living in the darkness, when you're in the desert, take me up on that, God says. Take me up on it. Because just to, to clarify, you remember the, the, the map of the Israelites and they kind of took the long route, right? They kind of took the scenic route. The reason that they were lost for 40 years wasn't because God didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> God knew exactly what he was doing. It wasn't because they lost their GPS. And please, ladies, the reason it took 40 years was not because Moses was in charge of directions and he was a man, okay? That's not why it took that long, right? God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing because he knew that the desert is fertile ground for our transformation, right? Think with me now. The, fertile, the, the, the desert is fertile ground for transformation. That's something different. And you can see the difference in the actions of Joshua and Caleb versus the rest of the scouts. Joshua and Caleb had allowed this desert experience in their life to transform them and to move them into trust. The rest of the scouts had grown weary in the desert and their frustration had moved to bitterness, which is the worst thing that can happen. So we're going to get better or we're going to get bitter. We're going to be transformed or we're going to spiral down in fear. Isn't it true that when you look back 
on some of the most difficult times in your life, now that you see the big picture, you can see where those were the times when you actually grew the most. So I just want to encourage you with that today. (laughs) If you're in one of those desert experiences, that's right where God wants you. And he's doing some incredible work. So don't leave. (laughs) Stay right there. Stay right there. We look back and we say, God, why did you take me through that? And then when we see the big, big picture, we say, no, I knew exactly why you took me through that. One thing is certain, no matter what giant you're facing today, it's moving you to lean in to God like never before. Lean in. Just lean in. It's a good thing to remember when you're out on the slopes. That's the piece of advice that, uh, by the way, these are not my skis. Uh, I know they're not very manly looking because they're female skis. But lean in is a good piece of advice. As I'm peering over the edge of a mountain in Colorado a few years ago, I'm skiing with my brother. Lean in, he says, not to the heart of God in this instance, but John, lean into the mountain. I'm peering over the cliff of a triple black diamond, okay? For those of you that are unfamiliar with the skiing world, that is code for you've got to be out of your mind skiing, right? Triple black diamond. One black diamond is enough. So, man, I got to stop putting pictures of myself up on the screen. I apologize for that. Um, That's not me. Um, You see, I love skiing. I love skiing, but there's a method to my madness, and here's the method. When I first go, when I first hit the slopes for the day, I'm not ashamed to say it, I spend some time on the bunny hill, okay? The bunny hill is pretty easy, right? You may say it's for wimps. I say it's, I'm just getting started, right? It's my warm-up lap. So I'm there, and I spend about the first, I don't know, half an hour on the bunny slope just to get my feet under me. And so after a while, though, you know if you've gone skiing, the bunny hill just doesn't cut it, right? You look up at the other mountain, you look at the mountain, there's people doing that, and you're like, uh this isn't really skiing. What I'm doing here on the bunny hill is not really skiing because you look up and you see people weaving down the mountain back and forth and it's like, I want to do that. I don't want to just push my way through the mountain, right? So then I spend most of my days on the blues, which is kind of the next difficulty up. And you know, I'd be pretty content there. I'd be fine with staying on the blues because after all, the point of skiing is recreation. It's not demolishing your body, right? Which some people tend to think it is. Um, so I'm with my brother and he says these words, come on, John, you see that run up there? Let's go do it. And I say, you know, Nathan, I don't know. Um, I think it might be a little bit challenging because there's been one person on it the entire day. That might be a sign that not a lot of people are going on it. Right. And he says, as a typical older brother, oh, come on, John, you can do it. We didn't come to Colorado to retreat, did we? think about that with our story today. We didn't come all this way to retreat, did we? Well, no, I said. And so moments later, I'm literally hanging over the edge and I'm freaking out because my life is flashing before me. I've never done a black diamond before, okay? This is my first time skiing in Colorado. And I'm like thinking, there's no way I'm going down this mountain. There's no way I'm going down this mountain. And I I will never forget his advice. He says, John, when all else fails, lean into the mountain." Lean in. Oh, yeah, that's really easy, Nathan. I'll just lean in. Should I do that before or after I'm dead? But he kept saying, just lean in. 
just lean into the mountain. And thank God that I did because I never would have made it down that mountain in one piece. And here's the thing. I fell. Man, I wiped out multiple times, right? Because he didn't tell me there was moguls, right? Some people think they're fun. I saw them more as speed bumps that didn't bump. They demolished me. And so I fell. It was a difficult slope. I'd never gone down it before, but I made it down. And then you know what? After that, the blues weren't so bad anymore. And after that, the single and the double black diamonds, well, they weren't so bad anymore either. And I realized those skis that I had in my hands, they weren't meant to just stay on the bunny slope. And neither were you. You weren't meant to stay on the bunny slope. That day on the edge of Canaan, Joshua and Caleb were staring at a triple black diamond. Joshua and Caleb were staring at the same overwhelming odds as the other scouts that seemed impossible. Man, I must have done something. I got in trouble. They're coming for me. But somehow, but somehow in their hearts, they knew they weren't created to stay on the bunny hill forever either. They weren't created to retreat in fear. In the words of God, <laughs> lean in, Joshua. Lean in when you're facing the triple black diamonds of life. Lean in and listen to me, God says to you this morning. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Lean in, he says to Joshua. When you're facing the giants of life, lean in, Joshua, and tell my people to get out of their safe little tents and face those giants so you can take hold of the promise that I gave to you years ago. And I want to ask you this morning, what about you? What if God is saying to you today, it's time to move beyond your bunny hill faith? It's time to move beyond the bunny hill where everything is nice and easy, where we just show up once a week and consume. Where the bunny hill where your happiness and your peace are based on circumstances. No, it's time, God says to Joshua and to you, it's time to go to the double black diamond. It's time to go to the triple black diamond where life isn't any easier, don't get me wrong, where life is just as messy, where there are more questions than answers. But the triple black diamond of our faith is where God is not just here on a Sunday morning. God is in and through every aspect of your life. He's right in the midst of it. And you look at the days and the weeks ahead just like Joshua and Caleb did. Just like the skier that's hanging over the cliff does and says, I really don't have to be afraid anymore. I really don't have to be afraid. What about you? Is it time to get off the bunny hill of faith? And what about us? What about us as a community? Finally, I, I believe that God is saying to us today, Hope Des Moines, don't stop hitting the slopes. You weren't created to be on the bunny hill. Don't stop hitting the black diamonds of life, even when it's scary, even when it's inconvenient, even when you want to stay in your comfort zone, even when it would be so much easier to not do mobile church for pity's sakes. Who does that? Even when it would be easier to just stay back at camp. That's not what we're about as a church. So we get involved in each other's lives. We get involved in life groups. 
We care for each other. We, we pray for our friends that don't know Christ. Instead of making faith some private thing that we keep to ourselves. I believe, well, Paul puts it this way in Hebrews. He says, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward into maturity. Get off the bunny hill, Paul says to the Hebrews. Get off the bunny hill and move into the slopes that you were created for. So often I think we misunderstand what walking in faith is all about. When you think about the giants that you're facing today, you've got to know faith is not content to sit there and want it really, really bad. If you think like you're building a house, faith consults the drawings and faith gets busy building. Hope is the blueprint. Faith is the contractor. Did you hear that? Hope is the blueprint. Faith is the contractor. And I believe that some of the impossible things that we're believing God for will never happen if we only stand in hope instead of walking in faith. Take the land of Canaan, Joshua. Go over the edge, John. Go down the slope that you were created for. Be who I created you to be. Joshua and Caleb knew that well. And because of it, they took the promises of God and they ran with it. And at the end of the day, I wonder if the greatest obstacle for many of us to go deeper in our faith, the greatest barrier between staying on the bunny hill and hitting the slopes is trusting in what God has already done rather than what we can do. Hear me straight. This is very important. We don't go to the black diamond because we're good enough. We go because God takes us there as a part of the process. We don't go on to maturity because we're good enough or smart enough or spiritual enough. We go there because God takes us there. The whole point of this story today is that it wasn't about Joshua and Caleb's ability. And that's true for us today. We have a God today that says, take courage. Because you're not putting your hope in yourself, you're putting your hope in my son. And my son, Jesus Christ, defeated the biggest giant that no one would ever be able to defeat. Death. You can't defeat that. And Jesus says, I defeated it for you. I defeated that giant in your life. And I died and I rose again. Not just so you could have a warm, fuzzy feeling Christianity, but so that you could live every single day like my promises are true. Let's lean in. Let's lean in as a community this week. And let's invite God to speak to us one more time. Hit the slopes, Hope. Hit the slopes. It's what you were created for. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.